Hello and welcome to the Spirit Guide Society podcast. My name is Pedro Shanahan and I'm your spirit guide. Tonight in the Whiskey Society at Seven Grand, we had Tingling's Irish Whiskey in the house with Mr. Inna Ryan giving us his final tasting in America before having to move back to Ireland. We got to taste through this amazing and unique line of Irish whiskeys. Inna also gave us an amazing perspective on the entire history of Irish whiskey, which you can check out on our YouTube channel, which you can find by going to spiritguidesocietypodcast.com. We hope you enjoy this podcast. Please tell your friends, subscribe, and enjoy. But please do so responsibly, which means take a walk in the sunshine, why don't you? It's because we had two whiskey societies in a row that you guys can clap together so well. We just keep practicing, I know. That was impressive, to be fair. Right? I told that you, kind of you caught me off guard. It like, caught me very off guard. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. I'm calming down now. Calm down. Yeah, yeah. Calm down. Yeah. I, I need more of those now. Okay, we got it. Yeah. We got the answer <laughs> to your talking. problems right here. Yeah. Right? We have whiskey. Everyone is traditionally used as a nerve tonic, so don't be yeah. nervous. We yeah, got yeah. you, man. It's all good. The monks of Clambic Noise. <laughs> oh, please, oh. please Fox explain more. coming already, ladies and gentlemen. Be ready. He's just a walking Segway. So tell us about that. Everybody, let's give it up for Mr. Eno Ryan from Teeling Irish Whiskey. Thank you. I was about to clap for myself there. <laughs> that sounds pretty rude. But you're, this, so you guys have been doing a really strong push in this last year since you've been here. But now, I don't know what, it's the Trump era or something. Yeah. We're not giving out any... Any work visas yeah, anymore? Yeah, no, so. I'm on my way back to Ireland. Yeah, so the yeah. entire Teeling Ambassador crews, yeah. they were all denied their work uh, visas. Fred not, though, because we've got a lovely yeah. lady called Sabrina here who's looking after <laughs> the whole LA And, and you're American-born? Uh, American-born and Brit. All right, yeah, exactly. All right. All right. So she knows Silver how you guys Lake work. Oh, Silver Lake, but you don't have a beard. <laughs> I, don't, I don't have a beard. How do you fit in in Silver Lake? <laughs> 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 well, welcome. What's your name again? Sabrina. Sabrina, welcome. Well, you, you can like ha have one final lesson here before uh, next time. It's going to be on you. <laughs> Maybe this next quarter we can have your first whiskey society. Maybe there'll be a special holiday release from TV. Hopefully, hopefully, yeah. There's yeah? a few things coming down the pipeline. We'll give you a little sneak peek in there. All right. Well, tell us about the history of Teeling because to me, right. the history of Teeling is really incredible because. It's, a lot of people don't understand how much the Irish whiskey world shrank yeah. and then who was responsible for kind of bringing it back. Mm -hmm. And I think Teeling yeah, well, is I where suppose, it all ties together. You know, the shrink is one aspect of the story, but the growth and the, the provenance and the heritage that was there before the shrink is what I really find interesting. It's what kind of gives me passion, especially in this sort of revival stage where Irish whiskey is at now. So I suppose to go back to real grassroots level, the word whiskey comes from the Irish words ishkabaha. Now, ishkabaha are the Irish words of the water of life. Okay, so that's where the word whiskey comes from. Now, a lot of Irish people will always come out and say that whiskey was, sorry, I actually just touched the microphone there. I have a microphone, isn't that cool? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's savage. I'm living out my, uh, my boyhood dreams of being... It doesn't help Britain's anyone experience. in this room hear you better, though. It's actually... Maybe not, maybe not. Yeah. But I'm, I'm going to have a podcast being released in October... Thank you very much. It's coming out. Be aware. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, um, a lot of Irish people will say whiskey came from Ireland. 
it didn't whiskey wasn't invented in ireland whiskey was never really invented as such whiskey was an evolution that was based off the invention of distillation you know the first person to really be recorded distilling was actually aristotle who claimed he could support salt water you know he could uh, separate salt water he could separate salt from water and he knew this by experiment as aristotle would do <laughs> um and then that sort of evolved over the years went on uh, the Islam uh, sort of science, you know, community was really the most developed in around the turn of the 20th century, and they invented the alembic still. So the coil that was involved in the column still, so that could actually condense the uh, the alcoholic vapor. So that was how we started to separate the alcohol from the rest of the water that was in the beer that was being distilled at the time, or the wine that was more likely being distilled. Um, and then this was first actually mentioned in around the year 1300 in the Book of Ossery, which was written in the cathedral in Kilkenny, in Kilkenny City. And this Uskabe or Uskaba, um, as they wrote about it, was actually um, referred to in regards to um, healing the throats of the choir. Okay, so this is what it was for. It was all to put to... Uh, for getting the choir, choir voice drunk? Exactly. Well, <laughs> yeah. was, this, was this some monk Well, we all know this? that uh, as soon as Irish people get drunk, we all become great singers, you know? <laughs> so maybe that was it. Maybe they all were feeling a little bit more encouraged to get their voices out there. But this is what it was originally for, for helping the choirs. And this liquid that was actually back then, we were lucky enough that um, when our global ambassador, Kevin, was here in February, he uh, did a, had a sort of had a partnership with the Irish Whiskey Association where they created a spirit that was as closely sort of related to this original spirit that was recorded in the Book of Osri. And it was vile. It was so <laughs> disgusting. And if you were to call this whiskey, you would just be, you'd be totally like mind blown. It was, it was kind of more like a gin um, because this spirit they were making, you know, they didn't really understand the science behind distillation. So the spirit they were creating was absolutely woeful. So in order to cover over these horrible flavors, they throw in a lot of different botanicals, they throw in spices, they throw in herbs similar to a gin today. So that would mask over the disgusting nature of this spirit. <laughs> so yeah, this is frankly, this is the origins of Irish whiskey. And then whiskey was only mentioned 100 years later in Scotland. So we invented whiskey. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> so that was the origins of whiskey. And whiskey, as the years went on, it stayed a very rural trade. Um, you know, in farms in Ireland, they would have grown a lot of grain, a lot of oats, a lot of rye, a lot of barley, a lot of mace, or as you guys would call it, corn. Um, and as the months went on, just before it started to rot, they'd make beer out of it, and then they'd distill it to make spirit out of it, essentially. So this was a way of maintaining the grain or using the grain that was about to go off that you'd gone through in the harvest the year before. Um, and as the years went on, this drink became more and more popular. And then Ireland itself, civilization started to become more popular. The cities of Ireland started to develop. You now cities like Dublin started to grow, cities like Waterford or Cork or Limerick or Galway. And in those cities where a lot of the aristocracy and a lot of nobility would have lived, and with them living in there, they would have wanted, you know, this spirit that was being produced in the countryside. So with that demand comes enterprise, okay? When there is a demand, you always have to have a supply. So entrepreneurs came about, they started opening up, up distilleries. Under professional distillation, that's where the quality really started to develop. And that's when the botanicals actually started to fade out. And this spirit that we would more closely recognize with the whiskey that we know of today started to come along in around the turn, you know, the 1600s, 1700s period. Um, then Dublin really starts to pick up. Dublin starts to really develop this reputation for the whiskey that we were producing. Dublin was the second city of the British Empire. Never forget that, okay? So there was London and then there was Dublin. Okay, Dublin was London 2.0 and there would have been a massively rich population living in Dublin who would have had this massive desire for these, uh, for these quality spirits. 
So with that, started to really develop. And also, Dublin has a big port. So, you know, along with this demand for spirits, there would have also been a demand for fine, fortified wines, you know, your ports, your Madeiras, your Malagas. Um, and so these wines are being brought in. So you'll also have to remember, you know, with these barrels of wines being brought in, the barrel was essentially the cardboard box of those times. You know, it was just a storage device. Now we look at the barrel as this romantic, you know, influence in the whiskey that we drink today. Back then it was just something to put it in for the meantime, and then as soon as you could, you stick in the bottle, you stick in the glass, and back the throat, okay? But then as the years went on, you know, and the sort of enterprise behind whiskey distillation started to develop, when you're starting to, to distill whiskey in large quantities, you can put whiskey aside. And people started to realize that the whiskey that was left in these beautiful sherry barrels, these beautiful Madeira, beautiful port barrels, started to pick up these flavors and started to become a hell of a lot better than the spirit that came fresh off the still. Okay, so that's really where sort of cast maturation started to develop in Dublin City. That's something that we really developed. Uh, some of the barrels we also used would have been used for fish or salt before. So you can also thank us for weeding out which barrels were shit and which weren't. So you're very welcome. So the industry really started to develop. And by the time you get to 18, around 1860, Queen Victoria came along and said, Irish Aquavit is the finest liquid in the land. So she's the original Irish whiskey ambassador is what I like to call her. And obviously with a statement of sort of approval from, you know, the, the monarch, you know, the sovereign at this time, who would have been just bowed to from all people from all quarters. This was just like, this was the good you had to get your hands on. Dublin whiskey, okay? Dublin whiskey was, was looked at in a different context than Irish whiskey as a whole. Irish whiskey, when you come to 1880, actually took up 70% of the international market share. 75, excuse me. It was absolutely dominant. dominant. So Scotch had nothing on Irish whiskey. Bourbon had nothing on Irish whiskey. Irish whiskey was dominant, but it's really the Dublin whiskies that really held all that power, okay? In Dublin, we actually changed the way we spell whiskey in order to differentiate our whiskey from the rest of the Irish whiskey. We added the E. If you look at a bottle of Irish whiskey today, you'll see W-H-I-S-K-E-Y, whereas in Scotland, there's no E, it's just K-Y. Now, that E was added just in Dublin to show that Dublin whiskey was different from the rest of Irish whiskey. It was so much better, we had to add another letter. They said, I oh, know, yeah, that's a pretty shitty rant. Um, and they say the E actually stood for excellence, okay? No. Oh, 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 wow. I know. I will, I will not be here all week. <laughs> I'm flying home on Sunday. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so we had, although this, you know, E stood for excellence, we didn't have the foresight or the you know the business acumen to realize that people could just copy it so literally every other whiskey in ireland just added the e to say that oh we're dublin whiskey too and then we stood there and said ah <laughs> okay so yeah dublin whiskey was this highly regarded product and um, you know world renowned you know world dominant um but that obviously brings us to the topic of what pedro mentioned earlier on our demise now why isn't irish whiskey as popular as it used to be why isn't Dublin whiskey this big product that you've just been saying is, you know, dominant or fantastic or, you know, fantastic quality? Irish whiskey essentially died around the turn of the 20th century because of an accumulation of different factors. A lot of people like to sort of just pin it to one, but it really was an accumulation of different ones. The first factor that come along and what I think was really the main factor is the invention of the column stone. So the column was invented by an Irish guy called Annius Coffey. Okay, now Annius was actually a tax collector uh, for all the distilleries in Ireland, and he realized how inefficient the distillation um, process was. 
Now we would have only used, you know, old bulbous pot stills, okay? And then he invented this new column still. And the column still couldn't make the same amount of whiskey in one week as a, as a pot still could in nine months. Massively efficient, really, really cheap to run. Now the problem was, from an Irish point of view, we believed that the spirit that came off this column still was blind spirit or silent spirit, some people call it. It had no character whatsoever. No flavor came off that still. It stripped everything away and just gave you pure alcohol. And we said it was useless. So we refused to use it, okay? But in Scotland, they brought in this pot still, or this column still, and they started to blend this uh, column still whiskey, which became known to be grain whiskey, with pot still whiskey, which they were actually making with Highland malt, which was quite harsh. And they developed, they developed blended whiskey, okay? And this really started to take off. It was much cheaper, therefore it was much more readily available. So Scotch started to pick up a bit of ground and Irish really fell behind. We stayed very, very snobby to column still whiskey up until 1960. In Ireland, we didn't have column stills until about 1960. That's when Powers released the first ever blended whiskey. So we were very, very late to catch on in that regard. Number two, we had a war of independence with Britain. Now, we were actually uh, part of the British Empire for about 700 years up until 1922 when we got our independence. Now, the problem with that a lot of the distilleries that would have been in Ireland, and particularly in Dublin, were owned by British families. Okay, and when we got independence, these families didn't really know how they were going to be treated by this new government. You know, there's a lot of political instability. Um, and so rather than dealing with these problems, they said, you know what, we're probably better off just packing up our distilleries and going back to the United Kingdom. So we lost a lot of distilleries because of that in around the turn of the 1920s. Also, when you're part of the British Empire, it means you can avail of different trade routes to other countries that are also in the empire. So, you know, that's big markets. That's Australia. That's New Zealand. That's Hong Kong. That's Canada. And to lose those sorts of markets hurt us really, really badly. And that was a real killer blow. But the final nail in the coffin is prohibition. You guys. Okay. Who <laughs> stopped drinking for some unbeknownst reason to myself. Still can't make sense. But, uh, so when prohibition came in, you know, that also brought about the sort of rise of mobster culture okay and the mobsters had two different wings to them first off they were bootlegging all right and a lot of this bootleg spirit that they were making they were actually giving it sort of irish sounding names like old shamrock and calling it irish whiskey because obviously there was still this demand for irish whiskey out there problem with that is this moonshine they were making tasted absolutely god awful okay <laughs> So that actually really just destroyed the reputation of Irish whiskey. People started to associate Irish whiskey with this spirit that tasted absolutely disgusting, that was going to make you really sick. A lot of people had actually made blind. Some people had actually killed. Jesus. Okay. Well, yeah. <laughs> Ooh. I, I, know. I would like to try a little bit of it. <laughs> just to see what had happened. <laughs> but yeah, that was one big factor. And secondly, a lot of these monsters actually came to Ireland and said, look, if you ship your whiskey to the Bahamas or ship it to Canada, you know, we're able to smuggle that stuff in. So we can keep these markets open for you and keep on selling on that Irish whiskey. But every single Irish distillery said, no, we're not going to do that. You know, you're gangsters. You're not good people. This is illegal. And of course, it's immoral, which is very important in Ireland. You know, great moral integrity. <laughs> Stop laughing. <laughs> Stop smiling. <laughs> So then what these mobsters did is they went to Scotland, okay, where they make whiskey, apparently. And um, they said, look, if you ship your whiskey to the Bahamas or to Canada, we'll pick it up there, we'll ship it, we'll bring it into the United States. 
and keep your market open for you or really create a market for you because scotch hadn't quite caught up to Irish at that point. And every single Scottish distiller said, Jesus, that's a great plan. <laughs> you really thought this one through. Let me look at the books and see how much whiskey we have for you. Because Scottish people have no moral integrity whatsoever. <laughs> You're very welcome. You're very welcome. I've thought that one through for a long time. That's probably the last time I'll ever tell that corny joke. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> so, yeah, American drinkers started to develop a real palate for Scotch whiskey. And then also, actually, what I learned is at the end of Prohibition, a lot of American businessmen, probably the most prominent which, of which was Joe Kennedy, you know, the sort of uh, father of, you know, John F. and all the rest of them, you know, <laughs> all the rest of them. That's probably the most, like, throwaway comment. <laughs> ever ever had. <laughs> There's a few, right? Um, he actually went to Ireland and said, I had the ship, let's load it up with whiskey. And as soon as is the 25th Amendment that got yes. rid of Prohibition? Yes, yes the repeal yeah. 25th. Yeah. So as soon as the 25th is enacted, we're going to ship this in and we're going to get Irish whiskey rolling through. But yet again, Irish distillers said no. For what reason? I actually don't know. They were just stupid. <laughs> now, every Scottish distiller said, yeah, fantastic. So then there was this rush of legal, high-quality Scotch whiskey into the US market at the end of Prohibition. So then Irish whiskey was just forgotten about. It was just dead. Nobody cared anymore. So in Ireland at our peak, we had 110 distilleries. We had 40 in Dublin City. By the time we get to 1966, two, sorry, three, three distilleries by 1966, the last which, of which was in Dublin was Powers, and that closed down in 1972. So it was dead. It was all gone. Okay, Dublin whiskey, which was this premium quality product, was dead within about 80 years, really within about 50 years. So it was just a dramatic decline. And when you think about the fact that, you know, there's 40 distilleries, this is the biggest employer in the city. So when you bring this to a human level, this was just like everyone lost their jobs. It was all gone. And there was crafts that came along with whiskey. You know, there was distillation. That was a dead craft. There was coopering. Okay, the making of barrels. That was dead. Because Guinness brought in metal kegs in 1950 as well. So there's all these men who would ply their whole life on a trade and it was gone. It was just entirely dead. Entirely wiped out. So Dublin was the third world city for a long time, okay? Um, and Irish whiskey was pretty much dead itself, you know? Irish whiskey only accounted for 1% of the international market share around 1970, 1980. Wow. You compare that to, to the 75 we had 100 years before. So it's just a dramatic decline of the only words of half worth. Then in 1986, a guy called John Teeling comes along, okay? Now, John is the father of Jack and Stephen, who founded Teeling Whiskey as we know it today. John, in the 1970s, went to Harvard. And when he was in Harvard, he did a project on the collapse of the Irish whiskey industry and how the Irish whiskey industry was being run in, uh, in those days as well. And he realized that he could do a hell of a lot of a better job at it. So he got back to Ireland, raised himself a little bit of capital, and in 1986, he opened the Cootie Distillery. Uh, now, he struggled in the Cooley Distillery for about 14 years. He opened in 1986, he didn't make a penny until 2000. 14 years, he didn't make a single cent. And in around the year 2000, Irish whiskey started to regain a little bit of momentum. People here in the United States started to drink Jameson as a shot. And since then, Irish whiskey has really been on the rebound, really developing. John started to sort of recraft the, the range that Irish whiskey really uh, took over. He started to develop Irish single malts, which wasn't really much of a thing. Before then, um, you know, the Tyrconnells can be put down to the Teenings, the Connemaras can be put down to the Teenings, Clontarf, a lot of, you know, 
pretty big Irish brands are all teeling, um, teeling founded. But in 2011, he actually sold the Cooley Distillery to Jim Beam, Beam Suntory. Now, in that year, Jack was actually managing director of Cooley Distillery, and Stephen was sales and marketing director for Europe. So essentially, they lost their jobs. So, you know, at that time, Jack was 37, Stephen was 32. So they were not ready to leave the industry. So they said, let's get back into it. Let's bring whiskey back into our family name. More importantly, let's bring whiskey back to Dublin. Okay, the Teeling Distillery is right smack bang in the middle of Dublin. Jack and Stephen, they're actually pretty much my next door neighbours. Dublin born and raised as well. So when they opened up the Teeling Distillery in 2015, this is the first new distillery to open in Dublin in 125 years and the first distillery to operate in Dublin in 40 years. And we've really been trying to carve out this new niche in Irish whiskey and really develop our craft. And part of the reason for that is we have just the most interesting master distiller in Ireland. I just find it fascinating. His name is Alex Chasco, uh, and he's not Irish. Uh, he's actually from right here in America. He's from Oregon. He used to be a master yeah. brewer. Yeah, yeah. He used to be a, a master brewer in the, the Bridgeport Brewery in Portland. And he actually went to the Harriet Watt University in Scotland just to develop his knowledge on brewing and distillation. When he was there, he met his wife, who dragged him back to Dublin. Um, and then he hooked up the Teelings, and he started looking after the Kilbegan distillery. Now, Kilbegan was actually part of the Cooley Whiskey Company, and that was kind of a centre of innovation. It was really a boutique sort of distillery, and he was really crafting all these new, interesting whiskies. And um, when that was sold, he stuck with Jack and Stephen because he knew this sort of dedication to craft and development of the Irish whiskey portfolio that they, they had in their mind and this is something he was interested in and that's why we're really developing all these really interesting expressions of whiskey. Right here you've got some expressions that are really, um, they're sort of more forward in their maturation but in the years coming you're going to start to see a lot of really interesting mash bill whiskies coming out of uh, Teeling. You know I've been with the company two and a half years, I started off as a tour guide with Teeling when I was in university. Uh, when I got my degree, Jack and Stephen said, there's a job in LA, do you want to go? I was like, yeah. <laughs> so that's why I'm here. But, you know, from my time starting off with Teeling, they've been distilling peated malt in large quantities. They've been distilling pot still whiskey, the original Irish style of whiskey. They've been distilling chocolate malt whiskey. There's all these different styles. They've been distilling crystallized rye, which has never been done in Ireland before. There's a lot of interesting stuff coming out of Teeling. So, yeah, it's time to move on to expression number one. Sweet. Yes, sir. Thank you. Any questions on regards, in regards to the history, by the way, guys? I know that was... That was a great one. Long no, I love it. No, it's sweet. great. Cool. Okay. I have a question. Yeah. Uh, I thought scotch was... You're going to laugh at me. I thought scotch was like a specific style of whiskey, not... When you said the scotch, you're describing every... No, Scotland so look, the way I like to describe whiskey, because there's a lot of terms that fall under whiskey and people get a bit confused. They say, I don't want whiskey, I want scotch. Whiskey is an umbrella term, okay? And under this umbrella comes Irish, comes scotch, comes bourbon, comes rye, comes a lot of different styles of whiskey. I like to sort of correlate whiskey with cheese. Do you know what I mean? It sounds a bit laughable, but like there's underneath cheese, there's blue and there's gruyere and there's all these fantastic different things. American falling way outside that umbrella. <laughs> but uh, yeah, this is essentially what it is. So scotch is a whiskey. Scotch essentially has to come from Scotland. There's a couple of different rules that come underneath what a whiskey has to be called to be called a scotch. But yes, it is a whiskey that comes from Scotland to be very, very basic about it. Yeah. Right, so well. this first expression that we have, this is the white label. There's no it's age single grain. Yeah. Single grain. Teeling single grain yeah. Irish whiskey. Um, Pedro just... 
said a little thing there, no age statement, NAS. So the age statement, for those who don't know, it's the number that you'll find, you know, six years old, seven years old, 10 years old, whatever it is. The, the reason we do no age statement is because we do batch statement. Oh, cool. Okay, so right here you'll see this is October 2017 when this batch was done. We'll only do about one batch of single grain a year. Each batch is 60 barrels. So every barrel is literally hand-selected. And you'll find from year to year, the 17 batch was pretty dark. When you look at the 16 batch, it's really, really clear. It's not that dark at all. And then when you look at the 15 batch, it's like ruby red. So, so this we is go only one year in the barrel? No, 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 because it's not Irish unless it's over three. Okay, but, okay. So what we do is... You're referring to your bottling batch. Uh, exactly, right? excuse me, yeah. Batch. But the bottling batch, some of the barrels that go in might be five, some might be six, some might be seven, some might be eight. And it kind of depends on how the barrels come together because we're really more concerned about the consistency and flavor than we are about the age that's on the bottle. But yeah, so generally the vast majority of whiskey that goes in there is about seven. So this whiskey is a single grain whiskey. Uh, and it's kind of an interesting expression. It's one that I like to go to, first of all. Can you explain the single grain? Yeah, specifically. Absolutely. So single grain, this is the first ever Irish single grain. This wasn't a category before we released this whiskey. So the term single grain, single refers to the fact that it comes from one distillery. When you hear of a blended scotch, that means it's a whiskey that comes from a number of different distilleries blended together. So for example, Johnny <laughs> Walker, blended scotch, they don't actually distill anything. They have about 40 or 50 different distilleries that they partner up with. You send them spirit, and then they blend it all together themselves to create that you know, consistent whiskey, that consistent flavor profile that they always strive for. This all comes from ourselves. We create all of this whiskey. Now what grain means, grain means it's a whiskey that comes off of a column still. Okay, so this is the type of distillation that every Irish whiskey distillery frowned upon for about 100 years. Column still whiskey, even today, you know, you'll come across um, an Irish whiskey that might be 80% grain, 20% barley, but they'll never talk about that 80% grain. They'll talk about that 20% pot still Irish whiskey. It's a blend of half malted, half unmalted barley. It's triple distilled and pot stills. Oh, it's fucking fantastic. But they'll never, I shouldn't have said that, by the way. Sorry. It's <laughs> Can right. you cut that out? No. <laughs> um, so you're so okay to cuss on the podcast. Oh, God, I fucking love that. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so a lot of people still, to this day, they turn their nose up at grain whiskey. We wanted to create a whiskey that was entirely grain and could show the beauty of what grain was. So this is made from 95% corn, 5% malted barley. It's distilled in the column and it's distilled to about 92 or 93% alcohol. So a really, really high alcoholic content. So when it comes off the sill, it actually pretty much is blind or silent spirit, which is what you know a lot of Irish people wouldn't have liked before. You know, it's relatively flavorless, relatively characterless. But that means that it's really open to taking on the flavor profile of the barrel in which, in which it's aged. So for this one, what we did was we went to a few different vineyards in Napa, four different vineyards. We got their Cabernet Sauvignon barrels. We ship them over to Dublin. What we do that's kind of cool here is we ship them over whole. What a lot of companies will do is they, sh they break their barrels down into the staves, they put them on a big pallet, they shrink wrap them, bring them over to Scotland or wherever in Ireland, and then they pull them back together, and then they have to steam treat them to bring them back to life. We don't do that. We ship the barrel over whole with two gallons of wine still in there. So it stays super fresh, super juicy. When it arrives in Dublin, it's probably only got about a liter of wine still in there, so we just dump the whiskey on top. Oh, wow. And yeah, and it stays in there for between <laughs> five and seven years. And this is what we have at the end here. This is our single grain. So this is... Um, so this is not a charred barrel at all? No, we don't char it. So it's a toasted wine barrel. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So it is 
pretty blonde. You guys aren't adding any color? No, there's no coloring whatsoever, which is, it's legal. It's fully legal in our species that color. And that's why when you go back to the distillery in Dublin, you'll see the 15, 16, 17 batch lined up beside each other. And the variance in color is quite extreme. But that's something that, you know, a lot of companies will say, no, we need to strive for consistency in our products. We find the beauty in the inconsistency because that really shows through your authenticity. Yeah, a lot of absolutely. issues right there. Um, so, yeah, that's where that really comes from. I think that's pretty cool. And that's kind of half the reason why these two are in black bottles because, frankly, they're quite pale. Uh, and yeah. a lot of people here in the States <clears throat> get turned off by the pale. They want a whiskey that's lovely, dark, mahogany brown. And we can't do that naturally, not in Ireland. Um, because our climate's really consistent. So in Kentucky, you know, you'll see, you know, the whiskey is being pumped in and out of the barrels because the climate is quite inconsistent. It can get quite hot during the day, quite cold at night. So there's a lot of interaction between. Also, they're using virgin, virgin oak, which is a con massive contributing factor. But we don't have the whiskey being pumped in and out of the woods in the same way. So we don't get that same color being imparted. So it's quite pale. So that's, you know, they won't say it, but it's half the reason why these are in, uh, these are in black bottles. Let's let's see if you can get at some of those uh, those Cabernet notes. I mean, we already he just said it. So, but without using the power of suggestion, stick your nose in that glass, breathe in gently through your mouth. What are you reminded of? Are you getting any fruit notes? Anything that you might be able to associate with wine, or or what else? What else? Because it can also be a confluence of different things that create the flavor profile. I also just want to say, be aware of the texture of this. You might notice it's quite oily, very fatty. Okay, there's a lot of fatty acids in this whiskey, and that's because we non-chill filter the whiskey. Let's get whiskey nerdy. Okay, so uh, when a whiskey is below 45% alcohol, generally what happens is all these fatty acids and oils in the whiskey will start to congeal. They'll start to come together. And I see these little white bits flowing throughout it, and it looks a little bit unappetizing. You know, a lot of people see these bits flowing through the whiskey, and they'll say, I'll pass, thank you very much. <laughs> so what we do is we keep the whiskey at a higher alcoholic content, and so that actually stops the fats from congealing. So what I should have actually said there is when the fats start to congeal in a lower ABV whiskey, to avoid that happening is in the distillery, they'll cool the whiskey down so the fats congeal and then they'll filter it. So they catch all those congealed fats. The whiskey yes. has this lovely clear appearance. We keep it at a higher ABV at 92 proof or 46% alcohol. Um, so the fats don't congeal. So you notice it's quite oily, a little trick. Just put a little dab in the palm of your hand put your glass down and rub your hands slowly together and you realize it feels like lotion. It feels really, really soft, really, really smooth. So that's because of all those fatty acids in there and give it a smell after. You know, the, the alcohol will actually start to evaporate away and you can really get to the essence of the whiskey right there. That's the trick, that's the trick, yes, exactly. You know, actually the, um, the Islamic sort of science community, it sort of originally started distilling to make perfumes. So that's it's coming full circle now. There's a man who knows his origins. He's, he's, dabbing it, he's dabbing it behind his ears right now. <laughs> but it does have, it's a nice floral quality. I like smelling it on my hands. Yeah, definitely a floral quality coming through. Um, and I also like to sort of highlight the, the sort of dry sort of aspects of it, the like tannic texture that'll come through. A little bite of like ripe grape or like ripe currant. And I can smell the corn too. Yeah, definitely like the Irish version of a bourbon. Yeah. You know, that corn sweetness definitely does come through. It's slight like vanilla, like sugary compound to it. What else are you guys getting? Yeah. Uh, I have a question. Sure. Um, so, since you opened the facility in 2015 or so? Why do we have whiskey now? Yes. Good question. Yeah, so the whiskey we have now is actually from John Teeling's distillery, the father, Jack and Stephen's father's distillery. When he sold 
uh, the Cooley Distillery. He actually struck one of the most legendary business deals in Irish history. So he sold that distillery to Jim Beam for an undisclosed sum, which is actually all over the media. It's $90 million. <laughs> um, but he also kept in, number one, a non-competition clause so that his sons and himself could open up distilleries. John has now opened up another distillery uh, close enough to Cooley in a town called Dundalk called the Great Northern Distillery, which is going to be the second biggest distillery in Ireland. Their whiskey is coming mature this year. Um, and yeah, we essentially got all of the spirit that we have now from there. And that's why we really got into the innovative cast maturation to sort of bring a new sort of twist to all these different whiskies. The whiskey we have from our Dublin distillery just came legal. And we actually had an auction of the first 100 bottles to come out of this distillery. And we actually struck a world record. The bottle number one, they're bottled number one through uh, 250. Bottles 100 through 250 are being given to family friends. But bottles 1 to 100 were auctioned, and bottle number 1 went for £10,000 sterling in auction, which is the most expensive <laughs> bottle ever to be sold out of a new distillery. Wow. So that's kind of cool. <laughs> yeah. But we're going to start to see... Yeah, thank you. Uh, you're going to start to see all the new Dublin whiskey expressions being rolled out soon. We've got a, a single pot still uh, whiskey that's being released through the mass market in around November. I don't quite know if it's coming over here, but I hope it does because I think it's it's so important to Irish history, you know. Are you guys going to try and boast column and pot stills or are you going to source the-, uh, the... So the column stills are actually in John's distillery. So the grain is coming from there, but if you come to the Dublin distillery, we've got our pot stills there where we triple the still and double the still. We don't, you know, section ourselves off to only the like traditional style. We do a lot of double as well. So you guys, what are you getting off this as you tap it over your tongue? Very unusual. It's like an Irish version of bourbon. It's corn-based for the most part. It's finished in a wine cask instead of a used bourbon cask, which is highly unusual. What else, though? What do you notice this differently from other whiskeys you've had before? Coconut. 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 I'm getting, like, Custard. Uh, like Custard. Dandelion, like, yeah, like yeah. Yeah, I get, like, yeah. a weird flower, but it's like an earthy flower. It is. It's nice. When yeah. I was working back in the distillery in Dublin... Yeah, that's earthy yeah. too. It's a little, when I was working the distillery in Dublin, we had a whiskey and ice cream pairing, and we paired this up with a lavender ice cream, and it was the best food and whiskey pairing I've ever had in my life. It was phenomenal. Oh, we really, have to really try that. Yeah, so lavender ice cream. I like that idea. Yeah, tap some over your tongue. How does it change? Well, it has a nice astringency too. It retains to me what what I think of Irish whiskey. It always has a kind of a bright core, mm. like something that's. Oh, yeah, the finish is really, really nice on that. You mm. get this really, the texture, it's really creamy. It's really, really creamy. Yeah, definitely. Like a vanilla custard. It's got some citrus notes, some nice floral, like that That very delicate violet. That's good, Kim. It's really, really nice. But for me, Irish whiskey is kind of defined by that a certain astringency, like a lightness. So it's, it's ultimately very palatable. But this is something that we want to... Counteracts. When you go back to the like early Dublin distilleries, the mash bills were highly varied. It would have been 20% rye, 10% oat, and then like 70% mash bill. You know, there were heavy, oily, intense whiskies that weren't light and delicate by any stretch of the imagination. Right. And that's something that I really kind of hope we get back into. If you ever try the green spot yes. of the maybe like 1960s, 70s, 80s, uh-huh. it's not sweet at all the green spot you have today like it's a slight honeyed notes that have come through but the ones from back then it's like peppery grassy spicy oily it's an intense whiskey it's phenomenal thank you sir so what is the second mark that uh, evan's the passing second around right mark. now yeah so that is our small batch so small batch is our flagship 
But uh, yeah, if you walk into a bar and you see a bottle of teeling, it's more than likely going to be that one. That's the original expression that we released uh, when we started off as a company. Now this is a blended Irish. Now blended Irish is different from blended Scotch. Blended Scotch, as I said earlier, means a whiskey that's blended from a, from a number of different distilleries and brought together. This one here is all our own. It's also a single distillery, um, but it's made of a, uh, a mix of grains. This is made from 66% grain whiskey, so corn distilled in the column, and then 33% single malt. Okay, triple distilled, pot stills, Irish style. So yeah, those two are actually distilled separately and aged separately for a period of about six years in ex-bourbon barrels. Bourbon barrel uh, maturation is really the most basic form of maturation that you're gonna find in Irish whiskey. If in doubt, it's probably bourbon. Okay, because obviously bourbon barrels, they're very easy to get. Bourbon distilleries can only use that barrel once before they chuck it away. So we're very inviting to taking those barrels in. So those two whiskies, the grain and the malt, are aged separately for six years in bourbon barrels. After those six years, they're actually blended. And then after we blend those whiskies together, we then finish for a further six months in Nicaraguan Fleur de Cana rum. Yeah. Okay, woo! Sorry. Yeah, sweet, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Have you got a fan club over here? Or like... I probably got a watch. Ah, right, cheers. Eh? What's the term for cheers over there? Salud. Salud, Salud. okay. <laughs> I knew that. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. So, so, finished in a rum cast. So, truly a unique Irish mm. whiskey on the market. I don't, yeah. think, I don't know of any other Irish whiskeys that are finished in, in a rum cask at this point. Uh, Tullamore do released one last year, the XO. Oh, yeah. Just so that's a new one. You guys. Yeah, yeah. We're, well, like we're the trendsetters. You know, that's right. what, you know, we're the first people really, we have this first comer advantage in coming into the market and really being weird and really being creative. And, you know, our company motto is about paying respect to the past, knowing where we come from, but having the confidence to forge your own future. And because in Ireland we have such a, it's such an old history and it's so revered and people talk about it all over the world. Yeah. It's a very easy thing to fall back on. And it actually takes a lot of courage really in Ireland to get away from that. And mm -hmm. people will talk shit about you for a little while if you do that. But that's kind of what we've tried to do and we've been bloody successful off the back of it. Yeah. So is this uh, in the same kind of philosophy of you guys trying to just bottle based on a flavor profile? Is this like five to seven? Where is, where is this? Yeah, definitely. Then? Yeah, still non-age statement. You'll still see our botch date on the bottom of the bottle. And because of that batch date, you know, that means that we can really be hands-on. We, you know, when you talk to Jack or Stephen Teeling, they're very, very, you know, assertive in the fact that every single barrel that goes into a batch is hand-selected. They hand-select every single barrel. There's only 60 that goes into a batch. That's not really a lot, okay? So they know exactly which are the best barrels to go in, which are the most suitable ones to go in. And this is what ends up in our whiskey, so. Supposed to talk a little bit about this whiskey. Actually, I want to throw it out to the floor. I like the way you did it earlier on. Yeah. Does anyone get anything off it? What's what's people's first reaction? Yeah, again, this is a very unique expression. So mm. how is it different from your memory of whiskeys? Stick your nose in the glass, breathe in gently through your mouth. What food words come to mind or experiences or memories? For me, uh, it's a similar thing when I when I drink rum, it makes like kind of makes like your breath hot, you know? <laughs> like, yeah, it's like, after it, breath. It has, yeah. it has yeah. a bloom for sure. Uh -huh. uh, yeah, it's sweet. Really good. What else? What are you guys getting? To me, it's surprisingly similar to the Japanese style. Like, you know, to which side? Japanese style. Okay. Hmm. And what's the mash bill on this? Is there corn in this as well? Uh, yes, yeah, 66 corn, 33 single malt. All right. Um, oh, sorry, just to go back to the finishing in the room, what's kind of interesting is, I think I kind of glassed over it, is we blend and then we finish. 
So what a lot of distilleries will do is they'll, you know, give the whiskies all their different aging, and then at the very final stage, it's at that point they'll blend. So they have full control over the whiskey that goes into the bottle. We blend the whiskies and then we finish it, and whatever comes out of that rum barrel is what we bottle. So we leave the barrel to decide what actually, you know, ends up being in the bottle, which is risky, but it's much better. We let the blending happen in the barrel. The whiskies come together, they marry it together, they pick up those flavors together. It makes it much round, more rounded. It's kind of cool. Yeah, this is resting all together in that rum cast. What are you guys getting as you tap it over that tongue? Yet again, by the way, non-chill filtered and 46% alcohol, 92 proof. Mm. Above your standards, you know, of chill filtered and on the 80 proof. Uh, as I drink it, it doesn't, it doesn't taste like it has more alcohol. You know, it's much, it's cool, really it? smooth yeah. and buttery. Mm -hmm. yeah, I get like a nice like milk word, chocolate and yeah. there's some orange here. Like, yeah, for me, it's like, first off, it's like raisin sultana and then kind of like banana almond. Kind of lying under that. Oh, yeah, yeah. I get some chocolate and almonds. Mm, yeah, bananas nice. Answer, yeah. What are you guys getting? Anybody? Bueller? 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 I'm getting both of you, silly. How much is it by the way? Oh, this one's only like, I think it's like 38 bucks. Yeah, super attainable. So, yeah, this would be about 38. This would be 49. And then we'll talk about the rest if we go on. All right. Beautiful. Can I ask one quick question? Sure. Earlier you said that the first expression... The casks come off the boat, I'm assuming because of evaporation, they, they lose a gallon. Yeah. The, mm, yeah. And so you're mixing in the pre-aged uh, distilled with wine? Uh, no, it's distilled, but we don't, it doesn't have any aging at that point. Okay. So it's just fresh off the still, but straight is over. is it going to be a gallon of cabinet? You're, you're talking about like a 200 liter. liters oh, okay. on top of a liter. It's just a it's little tiny bit of wine. Yeah. Mainly just to keep the, the barrel itself viable. Mm. If the yeah. if the barrel, within only a week or two, it, it'll start to dry up to the mm. point where it, it'll leak. And then you have to oh, start to like steam treat the inside of yeah. it. How, they, yeah, how the barrel works is that it part of it is the, the liquid inside right. is what mm. holds it together because the wood expands with the liquid. So if you leave a barrel dry for a very short amount of time, it'll become unviable and non-viable at that point because it's it's got gaps in it. It'll, it'll dry up, the staves will create little gaps. So with the rum one then, Same it's as. gonna have some moisture in there. Same as, come over hell. Wow. Mm. The bourbon, I'm not too sure. I don't know. We well, actually done the cooperage, so. but I don't know if they go through Scotland and then come back. A lot of bourbon barrels are, are delivered wet. A lot of companies do dismantle them, but coopering is such a high form of craft that a lot yeah. of them just buy them whole Tullamore, and ship them uh, in all fairness, with a little bit of whiskey fair, in them. Fair juice them. They're actually now starting to train up 30 coopers, which is a massive amount. You know, Middleton Distillery, I think, has like eight. Yeah. You know, so Tullamore is starting to train up so many. It's going to be kind of cool to see That's that craft come back. So they're probably going to buy broken down barrels and then... Yeah, yeah. I, you know, maybe they might start innovating and start doing virgin oak. You know, I was talking to Sabrina earlier on. You've got Middleton Dark Oilic over there. That's the only Irish whiskey to use virgin Irish oak. You know, virgin Irish oak. Yeah, they go to... A, I can't remember the name of the estate. It's in Kilkenny. And uh, Bluebell. Bluebell Estate. And they get these, uh, you know, these beautiful oak trees, lovely gnarled and sort of crooked... 
and they break those down, you know, put them into staves and then create barrels and then finish their Middleton pure pot still whiskey in there. It's kind of cool. So it'll be interesting those, to see now. Those with kind the of oaks so. are, you can't make a bunch of barrels out of those kind Maybe of oaks. Not, yeah. Probably very, very limited and only for finishing. Uh, but, I mean, again, a testament to the craft of barrel making is that there are container ships going over the Atlantic Ocean right now that are shipping containers full of empty barrels. Essentially just a little whiskey splashing around. Out of it. What happens to the barrel? Is it, is it then sometimes we'll reuse. Yeah, sometimes it'll be second fill. And then a lot of the times we'll reuse them for whiskeys that might go to, you know, independent bottlers or something who aren't as quality driven. You didn't hear that, by the way. <laughs> yeah. well, Evan, Evan's I'm giving too many secrets to have a microphone. <laughs> yeah. Evan's going to come around right now with the single malt expression. So uh, you have to make a really rough decision. You have to empty a glass for Evan. Make it easy on him. Show an empty glass. He's coming around with the bottle right now. How long has this been in the rum barrel? Six months. Yeah. Yeah, Florida Kanye, Nicaraguan rum. All right, does everybody have the uh, third expression in their hand now, yes? All right. So this is the Teeling single malt. Again, a batch release. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely, yes. Yet again, batch release. This, I think, uh, as regards to the crafting, of the whiskey is the most interesting of the four that we have for you tonight. This one's, this one's cool, man. So uh, I started working for Teeling in uh, March 2016, around St. Patrick's Day, which is when this whiskey was, you know, being reported to be released. We were all looking forward to it. Uh, it wasn't released uh, then. It was only released about nine months later, okay, because we just couldn't get that blend right. Okay, we couldn't get the different concoction of whiskeys right to go into this whiskey. About 30 different recipes were developed altogether before you could uh, decide on this final one as our, uh, our flagship single malt. So it's a single malt whiskey, single, one distillery, malt, 100% malted barley. This is triple distilled and pot stills, old school, Irish style. But what we did with this one, what's really interesting about it is the maturation. Okay, this is six different types of barrel altogether that go into the influencing of this whiskey. So how we start off, right? We have, I need two hands for this. Um, we had a 10 year old single malt. It was 10 years age, no bourbon barrels, right? What we did with that 10 year old single malt is we split it up into four different batches. And each batch was put into a different type of wine barrel for one year. So we have Madeira barrels, Port, Cabernet Sauvignon, and white Burgundy, okay? So we split that single malt up into those four different types of barrels. And for a year, they all stayed separate, picking up all those different individual flavors from those different barrels. After that year, blend them all back together, back into the original vatting. And at that stage, we also had a little sort of secret one on the side, all right? We had a 23-year-old single malt, 23 years aged exclusively in Oloroso sherry barrels. Ooh, yeah. That goes in and makes up about 10% of your batch. Varying from batch to batch, the quantities of the different barrels that are involved. But this one's cool, man. This is a cool, cool whiskey. It's, you know, with so many different influences in there, everybody's going to get a different experience. Just this gentleman, what's your name? Peter. Peter here just said that he gets like gingerbread and like all these different sort of spice elements out of it. I don't get that whatsoever. I get like these juicy tropical fruits, got like mango, pineapple, maybe a bit of melon or kiwi. That's what I get out of it, and that's like those sort of white burgundy um, flavor uh, flavor notes that'll come through for me. But because there are so many different different influences in this, everyone's going to get a totally different experience out of it. Because look, 
at the end of the day, like we all grew up eating and drinking different things. We all have our own individual palate. So something is going to jump out differently for everybody. And this is what kind of kind of wrecks my head about a lot of sommeliers who come out and they say like, this whiskey tastes like this, this, and this. And it's just bull. Yeah. Because it's a totally personal thing. It's totally, you know, for yourself to decide what it tastes like. Something is going to really jump out for you where I might not taste it whatsoever. So this is what really highlights that whiskey for me, and this is what I like to really bring to people who, uh, you know, who might. So what are you that. guys getting? I'm, I'm getting some like cashew and plum, and it's got like a phenolic cashew. quality. That's yeah. a good one. Never heard cashew. Like plum jelly? Yeah, plum jelly, and I mean, there's a nuttiness, and then there's also this earthiness. Cool. There's like um, never heard that one before. There's like a, a really earthy quality to it underneath. Like yeah, a, a, definitely. A, the finish for me is like dark chocolate. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. It's beautiful. Mm. Mm. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's good. Cooking with mushrooms. I get that. It is. Cooking with mushrooms. That's a cool one, yeah. That's what are you guys getting? Anybody else? Japanese, Anybody like, else? Tap me. it over your tongue. What are you experiencing? Evan, what are you getting? Uh, the aftertaste has a lot of aftertaste. Wow, the nose and the tongue are really different for me. Yeah. Yeah, a, dro a drop of water in there, like, totally changes it. Wow, that's awesome. Really great. Cheesy, that's a good one. Oh, yeah, dark chocolate all day long. Oh, that is delicious. Wow. So what's the bottle price on the single malt? Uh, bottle price of this would be about 59 bucks. Wow. So by the way, this one has been a multiple time winner of best Irish single malt below the price of 60 euros. So this is a good, good value whiskey. This is yeah. really good value whiskey. For the amount of craft and the effort that goes behind this as well, Like I think, you know, what's the uh, the dome where we see it's like the Prince Alexander II or something? Yeah. Has six barrels as well. King Alexander, excuse me. Just about, what, like 400 bucks a bottle? Yeah, so like for a whiskey that will probably have that level of innovation in there, to get that for a fraction of that price, I think it's pretty phenomenal. Absolutely. Wow, that is excellent. <laughs> I want to tell a funny story about Brian here. This is my friend Brian Medina. Uh, I went to a tasting in uh, the Daily Pint, yeah. which we were talking about earlier on, uh, back last year. It was only about a month or so after I moved here. Yeah, it was uh, the Kilhoman. The Kilhoman tasting. And I was kind of standing, drinking my whiskey, sort of a little bit shy. I didn't really know anybody. And I was just sort of eavesdropping conversations. And I hear Brian talking to his few friends who he brought in talking about this fantastic chilling whiskey, the single malt whiskey, it's amazing. And I was like, good American accent. I know, I've been working on it, right? <laughs> so, give me that visa now. <laughs> But uh, I literally turned around to him, I was like, you like the teeling single malt? He's like, I love it. It's like, man, my name's Aina, I'm the teeling brand ambassador. And then, yeah, we just like, became good friends off the back of that. And yeah, Brian's the man over there. Cheers, Brian. Thanks very much for everything over the last year. Appreciate it. Um, but yeah, this is, you know, that's sort of the, the thing about this whiskey. It's a conversation starter. I think of all the whiskeys we've had here today, when people started drinking this, it's the one that brought about the most chatter across the room. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? So that's the beauty of this one, really. It's a yeah, conversation so it, one. For me, when I smelled it, it just like opened up like, like world history. I just started thinking, this is an ancient smell. You know, That's like pretty cool. Like, whoa, yeah, you can really like get into subjects while over drinking it, and like, you know. You don't even want to know. <laughs> <laughs> I have a so complex. Yeah. Mm, oh, let's try that. Uh, whereas the last one you have here 
you guys are lucky because this one hasn't been shipped over from Ireland in well over a year. It's not being produced anymore. It was a single cask edition. Is this um, from your personal stash right here? Oh, we have little ways of going about things. Don't worry about it. Stop asking questions. <laughs> but uh, yeah, this one's a cool one. You guys are pretty lucky to get a taste here. And I thought it was, it was relevant to bring because you're like the last bar that I've come across that actually have this behind the bar. So uh, yeah, have this one. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll have you guys out of this one. It was an extremely rare expression. So Evan's coming around right now with the uh, teeling single cask Irish whiskey. And if you know, I mean, from experiencing through many of the whiskeys in the bar here, it's really rare to find a single cask expression of Irish whiskey. We can, we can buy single barrels of bourbon, they're right down the road in Kentucky. But a single cask, all bottled for just release in America, that's, that's that means maybe 250 bottles total, you know, not that. Not a huge amount of whiskey. I mean, how big Pretty is the cask? Pretty small. Uh, cask is about, yeah, it comes about 250. Yeah, it'd be a 200 meter well. Oh, a little, a little larger. Yeah. But still, less than yeah, Well, after your, this comes uh, about uh, 13. Sorry, can I just see the, just want to remind myself. Yeah, 13, yeah. So, you know, 13 years with your, with your angel share, you know. <laughs> this is delicious. Like lychee, is that the single cast? Lychee. Lychee, lychee fruit. I like that. Single, nice I've stuff. never heard that. For me, it's like yeah. very toasty and like biscuity sort of qualities will come off it. Yeah. Where's that? Is Natalie in here? Where's Natalie? Maria, what are you getting? Caramel ice cream. Caramel ice cream. Beautiful. Melon. Thank you, Cam. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of tropical fruit notes through the entire line. I'm actually surprised. Yeah, definitely chocolatey. Yeah, that last one just had dark chocolate all oh, night long. The is like, oh, my God. It's delicious. It's like high cocoa. So 110, 111 proof. Yeah, 111.2. So you guys now have the single cask in your hand. Stick your nose in this glass, but be careful because it is overproof. Sniff it very slowly. Cool the vapor over the back yeah. of your palate because it's high proof. If you're just smelling alcohol, it just means you're going too fast. So slow it down. Is this sherry cask on the finish? No, I no, no, no. Carcavelos. Carcavelos. So Carcavelos is a... It's a fortified, it's a white port. Okay. Carcavelos is an island off the coast of Portugal. Right. So it comes from this one island in particular. So this is 12 years Asian bourbon barrels, and then the final year it's finished in uh, Carcavelos white port. So a white port, a that's white crazy. Port, white port, yeah. It's really cool. Mm. Yeah, yeah, and a nuttiness. There's a definite yeah. nuttiness yeah, to this definitely. on the that's nose. That's where like, it's sort of toasty, biscuity. Like, mm -hmm. Do you have digestive biscuits over here? Uh, we do have digestive for babies. We yeah. give them to babies. <laughs> I have so many words that people are like, what the fuck? No, it's um, back, yeah, yeah. No, it's, um, if you ever go to like a British store and get McVitie's digestive biscuits. That's what it smells like? Tell you, yeah. Yeah, vanilla's a big quality though, come through a lot of them. You know, we really get a lot of that vanilla quality from a bourbon barrel. Okay. So that'll, a, lot, a lot of it will come from there. Irish whiskeys are generally pretty sweet as it is. There's not a lot of the old school, in your face, harsh, robust, like not sweet, super spicy, like old school green spot whiskeys around. That's what I'm like dying for. It's gonna be super cool when those come back. 
Um, but yeah, this is just a really cool whiskey. I don't really know what much more to say about it. I get like chocolatey, biscuity qualities out of it, like like toasted bread. Yeah, we'll as you tap it like over your tongue, what do you guys get? Spit like out some food words. Don't what do you get? get it, but it's cool. That's not white grape. That's that white port, you know? That's cool. We actually just released a chestnut barrel whiskey back in Dublin. We don't have it over here, but like. Really? Yeah, if you ever go to the distillery, it's our uh, our sort of um, our distillery special where you can get your name printed on the bottle and stuff. Really? Cool. Oh, no shit. Oh, uh, uh, give me your number after this. And, uh, yeah, I'll, I also yeah. get like some oh, graham crackers. Like, and there's a little bit graham of cracker. That's probably the closest uh, relation. Yeah, so that's yeah. molasses flour is what, what makes graham crackers taste the way they do. So yeah, I'm getting, and, but there's also, there's like, a, there's a green quality here. I'm getting almost like a prickly pear. Kind of thing? Am I crazy? There's a little bit of that. Day, what are you getting? Um, I got a little bit of like yeast taste. With, That's uh, beautiful. With like 100% cacao, like. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. Yes, 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 that, yes, yes. That's it. That's it. That's what I'm looking for. Is that cacao? Maybe there's some nuts in that shop bar. Yeah, yeah. Well, raw cacao has that nutty quality, so it's that. It's that. That's perfect, day. Absolutely. Yeah, cocoa. It's beautiful. So if you find it, I'd really recommend you snap it up because yes. it's, it's super good. This man. is a collector's item whiskey. Not that you should be collecting whiskey for the purpose of keeping on your shelf, but. Uh, one to drink, one to keep. Yeah, buy two bottles. <laughs> See how I upsell that? Yeah, that was good. That was good. <laughs> You're welcome, Jack. We worked well <laughs> Cheers. Thank you, Slanche. Is anyone else Solange? Solange to all of you guys. Yeah, Solange, yeah. guys. Yes. Thank you very much, Solange. Solange. Cheers, guys. Thank you very much, Solange. Well, you guys, let's give it up for Mr. Anna Ryan from Teeling. Cheers, guys. Pleasure. It's great having you in. Thank you Cheers, so much. Thank you so much. Cheers. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the podcast. If you like what you heard, please head over to Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star rating and review. The Spirit Guide Society is a Spirit Adventures production in association with Bitten from the Apple Productions. Special thanks to Tone Mesa for their post-production and audio services. The show is produced by Andrew Apple and me, Pedro Shanahan. Executive producer, Andrew Abrahamson. Be sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Spirit Guide SOC. We'll be there to answer any questions you have, share what we're drinking, and more. And if you're still thirsty, you can always find more episodes of the show wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to always drink responsibly. That means don't drink to forget, drink to remember. <laughs>